Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Corridors of Power by Blythely, Hand in Unlovable Hand by Anna Kovsky, and Cheesecake and the Art of Political Warfare by Sakana Sara. Welcome to episode 41, the Democratic Republic of Serpents. I'm Alex, and I'm the John Burkow one. I'm Freya, and I'm the Jacinda Arden one. I'm Macy, and I am the Elizabeth Warren one. I don't know why you're the Elizabeth Warren one, because she's my senator, but okay. Because you're in love with daddy. <laughs> well, that's true. I am in love with daddy. We'll talk about that in a second. And Jacinda Arden isn't my prime minister, but I kind of wish she was. Serpents, serpents, what are we reading? No. We haven't even gotten to that. Freya has to finish the thing. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about politics. Uh, Now Macy can say, but before all that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? What what are we reading, fellow serpents? (laughs) I recently read Middle Game by my agent sibling, Seanan Maguire. And this, if you have read anything of Seanan's, is pure, (laughs) unadulterated essence of Seanan Maguire. (laughs) It is about a boy and a girl who are an alchemical experiment in, about the nature of godhood, question mark. Mm. And it's about sort of having a telepathic twin and violence and blood and the nature of language and maths and time travel. It's quite hard to explain, but it's a very enjoyable read. Here's here's a fun piece of trivia about that book. The other day when I was having lunch with your agent, Freya, she gave me an arc of this book. It's good. It's good. I, I read it really fast. It really it. drags you in. And after that, I decided I just... that I'm going to take a break from reading adult fantasy because mm-hmm. it is not helping me get through my own very messy adult fantasy draft. So that was a big sigh of relief. And on that note, I read a spy thriller called Slow Horses by Mick Heron which is a modern-day England, uh, first in a series about a kind of offshoot of MI5 full of disgraced people who have done stupid things or are in the doghouse otherwise. And I assume this is a series about their adventures getting accidentally slash semi-deliberately involved in various spy shenanigans. I really enjoyed that. And then I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It took me a long time to realize this was a different book to The Seven and a Half Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which I also (laughs) talked about on this podcast. Um, This is, I would call it sort of modern historical slash chiclet. It's about a Hollywood actress who wants to tell her life story to a young woman who works in a magazine. And the big thing about her is that she has had seven husbands in her life. And it's a lot of things about the gossipy nature of Hollywood and ambition and fame. And it has a queer love story at the heart of it. Ooh. Yeah. I wish to note, darling listeners, it's been a week. Freya, how the fuck have you read three books? I've been avoiding my draft, Macy. Oh, that's and procrastination. That's a mood. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a mood. Okay, accepted. Accepted. Fine. I... Meanwhile, have been sensible and have read one book um, and rather a lot of uh, Bay's Chirrut fic because somebody reminded me that Rogue One existed and that was a mistake. Um, but the book, the book that I have read is Semiosis by Sue Burke. 
which is full of weird plant bullshit. I knew you were going to go to weird plant bullshit. I mean, that's literally (laughs) written in the notes, my friend. Well, I didn't read the notes. I try not to read the notes. That's fair. That's fair. But um, I will be doing a panel on weird plant bullshit at Worldcon with Sue Burke. And so I really wanted to read this in advance of that. And it was great fun. Um, Slight warning for some somewhat explicit uh, sexual assault early on in the book. But otherwise, lots of like questioning of the nature of sentience and all sorts of different aliens and uh, how do you plan out a new culture and a colony when the planet you've landed on has plant sentiences too that sounds cool that's pretty cool well, if we're doing that's yeah. fun i want to jump back um actually and give a content warning for middle game uh it has a mm. fairly graphic depiction of a suicide attempt in it got it so if that is an issue i would be steering clear of this book in particular thank you cool Uh, So I, of course, am still on my Good Omens lockdown, Uh, but this week I broke my Good Omens lockdown to read Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston, and it was so worth it. Oh my god, this book was everything. Uh, It is a queer rom-com, and it is set in this sort of slightly alternate history uh, world where everything did not go to shit in the uh, 2016 (laughs) election. Uh, And it is a a love story between the first son of the president of the United States and one of the princes of uh, the United Kingdom. You may remember this book Uh, from me not shutting up about it during the drastically redefining protocol episode. Yes. 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 Uh, Well, I finally got my hands on it and it is just as good as Freya promised. Please, please, please. Please go read this book, everybody. Please, I am begging you. I'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. My God. I laughed. I cried. I have only cried at two books in my entire life. This is the second one. So that should say something. Also, your good omens fic recs for this week, darling <laughs> listeners, are Live Back and Think of Dinner and Still My Heart Has Wings, both by Jess the Reckless and By Definition by Idiopathic Smile. Uh, I've also been doing some sewing this week, and that means that I am listening to audiobooks. I am almost finished with uh, Tropic of Serpents by Marie Brennan. Good title. It is a good title, and it is full of feminism and lady adventuresses and, like, early, like... 1800s naturalists mm. and dragons. It's very, very good. Highly recommend that, that sequel series. to the History of Dragons book that you were doing. Yeah. Okay. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, and it is just as good as the first one. Cool. Mm. Um, we also have a couple of pieces of news. Uh, this episode goes up the first day of Worldcon. Yay! That Yay! is terrifying. I was like, oh yeah, it's like at least six weeks until we leave for Worldcon. No. So I was like, no, no, it's not. No, 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 it's That's, not. It is a month away. Coming up. It is a month away. <laughs> oh, don't tell me that. Uh, does anyone <laughs> want to uh, pimp the cool thing that we have going on this weekend? Next, that weekend? That weekend. That what, weekend. Yeah, I can't this week in time, Alex. <laughs> okay, this episode goes up the first day of Worldcon. What are we doing this weekend, as in at Worldcon? <laughs> <laughs> we well, are doing... if you check your schedules, <laughs> we are doing a live recording. Woo! Yay! Inspect your schedule. Come along. It will be awesome. We guarantee it. We wish we could tell you when it was, but if we do, that will guarantee that the time and place will change. So we're yes. just going to tell you to check your schedule. Check your schedule. Uh, we should be there. Yes. We will yes, be indeed. there. 
We will definitely be somewhere in Dublin. Come say hi. We will Come have ribbons and shouting. Yeah. I can fairly guarantee the shouting. We will probably be almost entirely human. Yeah. Yes. Um, the jet lag will be fun. Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do our best. We're gonna do our best. Speaking yeah, of things coming up in timeframes that bum, are bum. frankly terrifying and shorter than expected, uh when this episode comes out, it will be one month until A Choir of Lies comes out on September 10th. Uh, if you have not pre-ordered it, please, please, please go do that. It would help me out a lot. Uh, recommend it to your local libraries. Tell your friends. Bra- brag to your enemies. Uh, Choir of Lies is the sequel to my debut novel, which came out last year, A Conspiracy of Truths. It is about everyone's favorite uh, disaster <laughs> gay uh, ilfing. And fantasy tulip mania, and recovery from grief, and hope punk, and it's a really good book. And uh, this book was uh, most nostalgically for me was sort of one of the reasons why I became friends with Macy and Freya. It was kind of the <laughs> like foundational part because I was like, "Hey, new friends, read this shitty draft I just wrote." <laughs> <laughs> it- Alex sent us a, a version which has the climax scene and like square brackets of like a thing goes here. A thing goes and then here. We're just like, um, <laughs> yeah, that thing does does need to go there, Alex. Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. it does. Well, good news, that thing is now there. Hey. <laughs> the book now has a climax. Way. A thing, yes, it has a thing. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on with the episode. Let's shall have we? an episode. Yes. <laughs> oh. All right. So taxonomy, of course. Uh-huh. Um, we always start with the taxonomy. What do we mean by politics? So I think based mm. on the tent poles that we chose, Macy, would you like to sort of outline which little chunk of politics with capital P we're kind of concentrating on this week? Yeah, I think that. From the tent poles that we focused on, we're really looking at modern democratic politics, right? We're not really talking about monarchs here. We're looking at things that spring up after stuff like West Wing or the style of like House of Cards, but in a little bit more of a thick context. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the UK and the British parliamentary systems are featured. Um, both the UK and the British. No, hang on, the US and the British. <laughs> We have both kinds of politics, UK and British. Amazing. <laughs> but diversity. Yeah. There we go. And we had a discussion about whether this is also counting as the intrigue episode, because you know mm. that we serpents love us some intrigue bullshit. We do. We do. But we do. I think, honestly, we can get another whole episode out of intrigue, comma, courtly, which is oh, focusing more on monarchs and courts and things like that, which do feature a lot in fantasy novels. So I think we will get another whole episode a little bit further down the track out of that. But as Macy said, we are focusing a little bit more on modern style democratic politics today and of course how it shows up in fantasy i think because for me and you know how i love a system um the systemic power balance and like the incentive structures are just totally different between those two kind of shapes of politics and so we are really talking about the um power as gifted by the populace and spread amongst a whole bunch of people who have to run around being ridiculous in order to get anything done correct Mm -hmm. that sounds because that's just a mood yeah yeah. So what's our first tentpole? Yes. Yes. So uh, Freya is now in charge. 
for his now in charge. Macy, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> I'm at all times. Ray is going to explain British politics. Barely held back from talking about this fic, which has been one of my favorite fanfics since I first read it. Oh, look, definitely a decade or more ago. Huh. So this is a fanfic called Corridors of Power by Blithely, and it's technically a series. There's two fics in the series, Corridors of Power and Adjournment. And I'm going to mm. read out the subtitle of this fic, which tells you more or less what it is about. Being an originally intermittent account of the political misadventures of the Viscount Northallerton, Lord Malfoy of Wimbledon, and the Right Honourable Harry J. Potter, Member of Parliament for North Southwark and Bermondsey, bracket, Liberal Democrat, close bracket, annotated with footnotes. See, the thing is... <laughs> oh, Lib Dem is such a perfect choice for Harry Potter because they're fucking useless. <laughs> So this as is, as you may have guessed, a Harry Potter fanfic. It is not technically an AU. It is technically a future fic in which Harry and, well, okay, it is epilogue AU because who cares about the fucking epilogue? But it is a story True. in which after Hogwarts and after some nebulous defeat of the Dark Lord, uh, Harry becomes an MP and... Draco Malfoy takes his place in the House of Lords and they essentially practice politics on muggles while preparing to go up head to head for Minister of Magic at some point in the future. It is exceedingly dated. It's about a very particular time in British politics and that is sort of the mid to late noughties, just around the time when Gordon Brown was being elected Prime Minister. Wasn't this written? When was this written? It was written, um, I think, about oh. Four five ish. I don't know. I read it first on Live Journal. It took a while for it to actually turn up on AO3. Because I want to say it was written before the last book came out. Oh yeah, probably. Wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> Which explains the lack of epilogue and the deeply nebulous battling of the Dark Lord. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> so it is okay. It is canon divergence AU, but it's not like a none of this happens. They are Muggle politicians. They are still wizards, and I really like what it does with that mixture of the muggle world and the muggle parliament rather than actually world building the magic bureaucracy anymore that it actually exists in the books. Cause it's clearly written by someone who knows a lot about the parliament and yes. the English parliament at the time and just wants to make a lot of snarky in jokes about it, which is delightful. They're, okay. There, there are so many snarky and jokes. I have to confess, I read this fic and I didn't have a clue what was going on. I had a great time reading it. It's a great fic. Do I have any recollection of any of the events of the fic? No, I do not. The, fi the footnotes were great, though. The footnotes were snarky and, and like very, very funny. Well, every time I read it, I appreciate the footnotes more because I've forgotten who yeah. everybody is oh, and what they were doing. Movie. You have to kind of look at it sideways because Boris... Johnson, Boris, Boris Johnson. Johnson, everybody throws salt over your shoulder. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Boris Johnson has a bit part as Draco's uncle, who is also Minister for Magic. And it is um, obviously a much less uh, terrifyingly toxic and, oh God, this buffoon might come into power version of Boris Johnson than the one currently causing waves in English politics. I have a question. Maybe one of you will answer because I've been too scared to find out. And so I've been asking Americans this about once a week. Do okay. I have a prime minister right now? Do you have one? I don't know. I, I think have... technically you maybe do. I think it's still Theresa. Yeah, I think technically it's still her until they have the um, conservative election, right? Like the leadership. Right, but yeah. the, uh, 
Anyway, darling listeners, I am exceedingly distressed by the concept of Boris Johnson, aka Mr. Dandelionhead. Um, yes, aren't we all? Yeah, I have no idea. I have he's no probably idea going I... to be my prime minister, for reference. Uh, <sighs> and fun. like, the version in the fic is deeply more sensical than the actual yes. human being who likes to shut down the entirety of London so he can run around on bikes. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, this yeah. is a fic about political procedure and minutiae and yes. going and having drinks and... Like, the relationship between Harry and Draco is not particularly, doesn't develop particularly over the course of the fic. They clearly have an established sort of rivalry slash friendship slash flirtation that only develops sort of near the end of the second fic. So they have this, like, comfortable back and forth that's really fun, but it's also about the class differences between them that is established in the Harry Potter books and comes into starker relief when you turn them into an elected MP and... A member of the House of Lords. Yes. It, it reminded me quite a lot of the West Wing in some ways and how much it is about sort of equally incomprehensible procedural bullshit. And like I when I was reading uh, Corridors of Power, I could very much picture certain scenes uh, filmed in kind of an Aaron Sorkin-esque walk and talk <laughs> long shot kind of thing. You know how he does? Yep. Yes. This fic fails to adequately convey, and it tries hard and it does convey a lot of it, but it fails to adequately convey the sheer depth of like walnut panelling and gold embossed stuff. And for some reason, number 10 Downing Street has a life-sized portrait of Ada Lovelace. Nice. Hmm. So I I have been to number 10 Downing Street and shaken hands with David Cameron there. And (laughs) of course you have. Of course I have. (laughs) It's me. Um... And it's a lot, and it's a very strange place, because British politics kind of devolves a lot of the responsibility for actually getting shit done to the civil servants and the bureaucrats who are permanently there and can't really get fired by the different elected officials, which is very different to the American system, and as we have seen these past three years. uh, Yes. So that kind of keeps ticking along in the background. And I think that like Blaise Zabini in this fic kind of represents that part of the like, I'm not elected and I'm not sitting in the Lords, but I know everything and I'm kind of getting shit done around my daft boss. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Blaze is a fantastic character in this. And I do like all the little bits of sprinklings of magic that don't really have anything to do with the plot, but are just really fun. Like Draco, yep. Draco's yep. magical notebook that when he writes things in it, the things like scooch off to magically index themselves. That one was great. That was I fun. want one. Yep. Yep. I badly yep. want that notebook. So as long as we're talking about uh, British politics, we have to pause for a brief detour into Alex's Fun Facts Thirst Corner. <laughs> oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do, darling listeners, will... because we promised to explain. We, yes, we did promise to explain why I am the John Burko one and the comment that Macy made about daddy. Uh, John Burko is daddy. <laughs> I, I, Who I is told John Macy Burko? The, John Burko is the Speaker of the House of Parliament and he is a perfect human being and I am wildly <laughs> in love with him. And uh, sometimes they have like questions for the Prime Minister and like this Q&A thing uh, that airs on Wednesdays. And sometimes I watch that just to see him shout, order! (laughs) (laughs) So the thing you have to understand, listeners, is that the Speaker of the Houses of Parliament in the UK used to be a school teacher. Not only used to be a school teacher, but used to be the school teacher of several of the members of Parliament and will occasionally chide them (laughs) uh, like naughty school 
schoolboys. Yeah. Because they were his naughty schoolboys. Uh, his daddy. I think there's. And some, I was. To- <laughs> it seems like there's something about the position of speaker that attracts that. Because there's a whole there's a whole footnote in Corridors of Power about um, Betty Boothroyd, who is the yep. first female speaker of the Commons, and how Draco loves her and wants to be adopted. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. But I was talking in Slack the other day. I was like, you will give me this fun facts thirst corner. I need to make it a public record about how much John Burko is daddy. <laughs> Consider that now on the record. Now now that is on the record. I apologize uh, more than most because I think it was my fault that Alex started watching Prime Minister's Question Time in the first yes, place when I was like, you need to watch this so you can do steal this political system. <sighs> Yeah, you were like, here's what's going on with Brexit. Let me explain Brexit to you. Just watch this. And I was like, who is that beautiful, handsome gentleman <laughs> who is in charge of everything and is always so calm and assured, but positive? Um, Speaking of anyway. thirst magnets in politics, Alex, would you like oh, no. to move on to our second tentpole? If you insist. Although I, I think that this would be a good podcast if it was just about daddy from no, now on. No, I, I strongly um, disagree. Anyway. <laughs> and I refuse to refer to him as such in any way other than quoting you. Sure, that's fine. Um, I don't care. Alex, <laughs> Alex he is not next... my daddy. No, he's mine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, anyway, let's move on to the next tentpole. Uh, the next one is Cheesecake in the Art of Political Warfare by Sakanasara. Um, it is a original fic that is uh, available to read online. It is a sci-fi political fiction, which is about a wink, wink, totally not the <laughs> uh, 2008 election, uh, but in space, except it absolutely is. Yep. Uh, yep. The vice presidential candidate for the opposition uh, is kind of a direct reference to uh, Sarah Palin. I can see Vega from my back porch. <laughs> <laughs> I miss Palin. In what sense? Do you want to explain that for the yeah, listeners? I, I miss Palin because when it was Palin doing it, it was only a vice presidential candidate and not our sitting president. Yeah, and it was like so ridiculous and harmless and oh, dumb. Yes. Warning, listeners, we will be referring to current politics throughout this episode, oh, if yeah. that makes you sad. <laughs> Well, yeah. us too, buddy. Us too, us honestly. Too. <laughs> <laughs> That's anyway, the mood. So, so it is about uh, the campaign manager and his aide and the... It's about Rahm Emanuel. How so, Macy? Do you want to explain yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's basically what I was talking about with thirst straps. Yeah, so the main character of this space opera is an exceedingly thinly veiled Rahm Emanuel port. Yeah. Yeah. Who sends dead fish and or cheesecake to political opponents, which is exactly what Rahm Emanuel does. <laughs> anyway, it is a it is a great story and it has this election night scene at the end which gave me chills simply because it ended well. Uh, in the in post- so many ways. In so many ways. Well, yes, but I I'm talking specifically about the politics. Um, because like in the post-2016 world i think we all sort of have election night trauma uh because we all went into that being like really positive and upbeat and by the end of the night we're very surprised and disappointed uh, yeah anyway. i spent that whole evening being paged by like three of my services simultaneously because somehow the systems knew something was up oh geez it was torrentially raining at- here in australia 
at the time that the election results were being announced for you guys. And I literally went and stood out on my balcony in the rain like someone from a fucking Austin <laughs> novel who was trying to give herself <laughs> pneumonia and just stood there being like, life is meaningless. <laughs> <laughs> for like a solid five minutes. And I was like, okay, I've done that now. It was a very, I mean, very okay. strange event. <laughs> it was a very strange event. I am like surprised but also very much not surprised that we all know exactly where we were that day at that time and also it is i apologize to you specifically freya that uh american politics are so like weighty that you felt the ripples even in australia look Uh, i'm getting vicarious brexit anxiety for the past six months and my own politics here in australia although not quite as disastrous as those of the uk or us have not exactly been providing a sterling example so yeah so so let's have some ex- escapism, yes. and instead of talking about real politics, talk about fake politics, specifically the happy ending politics <laughs> of Cheesecake in the Art of Political Warfare. This is happy, which ending, from politics, happy ending politics. It, look, it was, such a, it was such a delightful read. It had such a really nice mixture of civil justice and you know that personal investment from the point of view character who really you know was part of a campaign. I, I really like campaign stories there's mm-hmm. something about them mm-hmm. in particular about that mixture of process and tension it's a yeah. really great like driving motivation and quest arc i feel that is underutilized in fantasy yeah yes yeah, yeah. it's a great because you know where you're going and what you're trying for and there's so much opportunity for backstabbing and bullshit and crazy random happenstance completely fucking you over at the last minute yes and people with like really big opinions caring fiercely about their opinions yes oh which always makes a very compelling kind of character yeah people who care desperately i'm gonna like slide in a little wreck here for another fanfic which is about Mm -hmm. a political campaign uh and this is a fanfic spin with an exclamation mark by weatherfront which is an inception au fanfic about Eames and Arthur who are both the campaign managers or primary like political operatives for Mal and Dom who are the two front runners on the Democratic primary and it is that sounds fun very much about American politics and working as a political operative in the early stages of a campaign it is a lot of fun and it's got that really good mixture of personal drive and big-minded idealism and what politics can be and should be Mm. it's really good and i think that's one of the things i like about this fic is it gives you the nostalgia back for when the obama campaign was like the like the worst thing that could happen was like a competent but not pleasant opponent would win which now seems like science fiction and not in the this is set in space and there are various alien races way but just depressingly depressingly but no, like for for the two thousand eight campaign, I stayed up in Scotland until three in the morning. Half of my college stayed up. The student union stayed open specially, and we were all there. And Aww. I was doing my first ever nano rimo at the same time. Aww. So I was sat on the sticky floor of the student union dance club, which had closed down to show a screen of the prediction of each state one by one. Yeah. Um, and we stayed there until they kicked us out. But it had been called. It got called like ten minutes after they kicked us out. Oh, I was. Oh no! I was in Sydney at, at medical school, and again, I remember exactly what I did when we found out because it was sort of you know middle of the day for us, and one of my friends and I went out to dinner 
essentially to celebrate and we were just walking <laughs> through the center of sydney and there were people like waving and cheering and hugging one another like you're right in that there was this great sense of weightiness even on the other side of the world this sense of yeah, progressive yeah. victory Holy shit. and this is the thing that it's really hard to explain to americans who might not even know like that it's a prime minister not a president in the uk they don't understand the weight the u.s elections have across the rest of the world right yeah and so yeah. maybe maybe this will will help a little to understand but yeah no like the second that i was old enough to be voting and paying attention to politics i was paying attention to american politics i literally didn't until i watched the west wing and that was how ha! i actually understood absolutely anything at all about american politics i knew nothing going in and that was a good crash course i didn't watch the west wing until i was like 25 and like that was the thing that made me for the first time ever in my life at age 25 actually kind of like love and be proud of my country a little bit because mm -hmm. it is this like idealized version of like what america could be if it is run by people who like care very much about other people and now i can't watch it because it just makes me cry and sad and depressed <laughs> well, and let's move on yeah i have to say i have a lot of pride in the australian political system like i think uh yes. idea the way that our elections run that we have mandatory voting and it's seen as a civic duty yes. that we have preferential voting so you don't have to quotes throw away your vote if you are voting for a right. smaller party or an independent you just number them number one and then you do big party that i hate the least number two etc mm -hmm. uh, and right. so your votes count towards whoever it is that you most want to support and that does actually mean something in terms of funding in terms of numbers in terms of telling the big right. parties what people actually care about but if that person is clearly not going to be elected then your vote actually goes to the big party of your choice which right. makes sense to me. It, it does yeah. make sense. Um, it makes a lot more sense. The, the US political system is not set up to try to do what people want. It's set up to maintain power. Yeah. Um, as we've seen with the recent Supreme Court decision on gerrymandering. Um, but that shit's depressing. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, so speaking let's talk of about depressing American bit. politics and cynicism. Let's talk about the next book, <laughs> uh, which is... One of my favourites, and certainly one of my favourite het fics, because it's about two god-awful human beings. They're so bad. They're terrible, <laughs> awful They're just people. Terrible people. And this is an accidentally married in Vegas fic about two characters from the TV show Veep um, called Hand in Unlovable Hand. And, you know, hashtag accurate title. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But basically, um, two campaign managers on this campaign to be vice president wake up in Vegas married and decide that since the Newsies have already gotten wind of it, fuck it, let's stay married and try to squeeze every last inch of political capital out of this marriage that we possibly can. It's, and they do. It's great. I can't believe Macy made me read a pregnancy fic. Also same. But also same. I must admit, I very much approve of it because it skipped straight from, oh my goodness, we're pregnant to 38 and a half weeks later. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so just skipped over all of the pregnancy stuff and just it was like, oh shit, now we have this small, politically useful, but also terrifying small yeah, thing. Yeah, they have a kid for politics. People. They have a kid for politics. Yeah. 
And oh my god, don't this do that. This child is going to grow up with like so many issues. <laughs> oh, that poor child. Uh, but yeah, no, in fairness, darling listeners, I know that these two have a thing about this type of fic. And I said, you can stop after the first half where there's no baby. No, no, no. I was committed to the Slytherin power couple. I had to keep reading. <laughs> no, yes. So was I. So was I. Like, I am kind of grossed out by pregnancy in stories because I... Like, when I'm reading a story, I identify very strongly with the point of view character, and if they are pregnant, it kind of grosses me out, because I don't like the idea of being pregnant ever. It's one of the only things that gives me, like, gender dysphoria. Um, but, like, I didn't have a problem with this, because they were being so, like, Slytherin and detached about it. It's like, we're doing this for a reason, and this is going to benefit us for the following seven reasons. Yeah. <laughs> it was fantastic. And I cannot possibly be, I am a happily married, quote-unquote, uh, political wife, I cannot be seen having an abortion. Fuck, I guess I have to have it. Yeah. 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 We can just have a nanny. We don't ever have to see it or talk to it or touch it or bathe it or anything. And they have a grand yeah, plan for them to sequentially become presidents, which is great. Yep. And I just love how cynical it is because it's also true. But in mm -hmm. the first fic, there's this one line where the guy, Dan... Uh, says, oh, you should write an autobiography, Amy. It'll help you be president. And she's like, the fuck? I'm not going to write an autobiography. He's like, no, no, no. I'll write it. You'll just write it. Yeah. It'll be all this just blah, blah, feminism, blah, blah, overcoming difficulties, blah, happy marriage. And you can tell that's going to be a wildly successful book. And Dan oh, yeah. is not going to mean a word of it. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to just be like cynically constructed, uh, cloying sweetness. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. It's going to be lean in but presidential. Yeah. Ah, oh, so good. I really I really did enjoy how vicious that fic was on the hypocrisy of family and its place in political yes. life. Oh yes. Because America has such a thing for that and it's not nearly as much of a thing in British politics because we don't vote for a prime minister you vote for your local MP and you have no control over who becomes Prime Minister. So there's no cult of personality. Like, I think that David Cameron had a wife. I couldn't tell you if Theresa May has a spouse or not. I don't think so. But it mm. wasn't important. I couldn't tell you their religion. Whereas, like, you're damn sure that I know everything about the presidential families. Yes, and I think it, a lot of it comes from, like, the Southern specifically evangelical christian section especially after they got the idea that they could hammer on quote-unquote family values uh to squash down all of the people who wanted <laughs> those pesky civil rights and so forth but i think that another thing this fic shows really well is the story spinning image control side of politics which mm -hmm. i put down here as quote-unquote chant bullshit yeah <laughs> it is chant bullshit yes. though because it's all about like framing the narrative and mm -hmm. like exploiting the narrative for your own personal uh benefit and so forth so yeah 100 doing it differently based on your gender because it does make a difference yeah also realizing that you are living in the middle of a narrative as right. someone else perceives you and then deciding that well as long as i am already in this situation i will do what i can to control it mm. The amazing, like, live tweet Instagram story of her giving birth. Oh my god, yes. Yeah. <laughs> or, like, how they spend two hours a day having family, or two hours a 
every Saturday. Yeah, two hours every Saturday having family time at the zoo and like live tweeting that so everyone can see what a perfect little like very blonde, very white family they are. Oh my God, they're so electable. They are such terrible human beings. Terrible, (laughs) awful human beings, yes. I'm very glad you made us read that fic, Macy. It's going to become one that I reread, I think. I just, I just, I also like miss fics with women in them. It's nice to have fics with women in them sometimes. Yeah. And I think, like, as I said, Slytherin power couples are just something of a weakness of mine. Like the first couple of seasons of the House of Cards TV (gasps) show, now that it has been ruined for us by Kevin Spacey being a dick, but I enjoyed them so much. They were so cynical. And just the idea of that power couple of fairly unpleasant people holding on to one another and to power is something that I adore and that's kind of where the genesis for my current work in progress came from is wanting to do Slytherin power couple but with three people (laughs) (laughs) I love it it's complicated I wanted to see what do you guys think about the use choosing to use politics in a story Mm. and using it either as setting for character study versus okay I want the plot of my story to be a political plot versus this is the theme that I want to deliver. Politics is a vehicle by which I can deliver that theme. So I think different mm. stories that feature politics do use it in slightly different ways. Right. And I like the first ones primarily because you don't have the character study ones, obviously, because I like character and you don't have to necessarily <laughs> dig quite as deep into the nuts and bolts of political plot. And I am, right. I have a science background. I have studied absolutely zero History, politics, economics, none of that, which is terrible. And I am like having to play frantic Come catch up me. by occasionally reading nonfiction, but I am not of the Macy school of seven hundred Brodel textbooks. Brodel Hell, as we call it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I am currently grudgingly writing some political stuff into my book, and it's so hard. I just want people to have feelings. Can I just? <laughs> yeah, all the politics is so kind of accidentally happening off page, and then people dissect it afterwards. Uh, but what do you think no. about like pe- making the choice to use politics in your story, and, and what you actually use it for? Politics is hard, right? Yes. Yeah. It is. Uh, it's complicated. Alex, Alex, tell us, talk to us about conspiracy. Okay, so conspiracy, all of the politics happens off screen, right? Like, conspiracy is just about one guy in a jail cell. Uh, and there is an election during that book, but he doesn't have any part of it. He doesn't get to see any of it. He is just <laughs> reporting, like, what happens after the fact. Um, and I think that that worked really well because I was using... I think I was using it more as politics to deliver theme, mm, uh, yep. according to Freya's little taxonomy here, um, because conspiracy is very much about like the power of stories to bring down a corrupt government, um, how a government can become corrupt over time slowly, mm-hmm. and how a government like that consumes its citizens and chews them up and exploits them and spits them out uh, to bolster the people in power and to sort of advance its own interests and how that's not a good thing and how people are totally within their rights to you know rise up and and revolt against that like going back to the the chant bullshit that we mentioned uh with the the veep fanfic like it's using the narrative to exploit 
what am I trying to say here? Using narrative to kind of hack people's brains and to make them do what you want them to do. Pe and if you can get enough people to do that, then you have control of politics. People want history and current events to make sense narratologically. Yeah. And they don't. But if you have the skill to create and craft a narrative that touches some of the facts, then people will buy your story far more often than they will buy the actual messy truth, which is what we see every day. Um, and I think that for me, using politics in its entirety as a plot is really hard. Um, and it makes me think of the one of my favorite scenes in a movie which is the bureaucracy scenes in jupiter ascending mm, yes yes so, yes yes right oh my god i love those scenes <laughs> they're very good scenes but the point is that bureaucracy and politics are just this byzantine mass of cogs and wheels and systemic interactions that have power and weight of their own that it's almost impossible to distill into a single novel. So you have to very carefully pick and choose what you show. And I think mm -hmm. Corridor of Power shows this really well, um, like just how complicated it is. And it just gives you this skim over the top of the highlights as they affect two people. And it's still a lot to process. Yeah, well, mm -hmm. even the Harry Potter series, I think, uses the bureaucracy of government mm -hmm. as an antagonistic force quite yes. well because the ways in which Harry comes up against the Ministry of Magic and the Wizard Garment and all of these big institutions they're never key to the plot but it's always always presented as something getting in the way and right. he, and I think you know he has this tendency to break the rules to get what he wants in a very Slytherin way and it's presented as understandable because he's up against these grown-ups who are entrenched in the bureaucracy and nothing is actually happening or else the bureaucracy becomes part of the evil force when you have things like fudge and umbrage right and i think for me the real distinguishing factor of something being politics and democracy is that the elected officials don't have power to just do something they always have to build some form of coalition they have to get some sort of agreement they have to have some sort of vote do some horse trading they can't just stamp their foot and say, it is so. And we see this even in TV shows about the president, uh, right? Like they might say, oh, we are now at war, but behind the scenes, there's all this wheeling and dealing to get Congress to agree to get the budget for the tanks. Um, and I think that's something that's fundamentally different in a piece of fiction like, for example, The Goblin Emperor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, where there is intrigue and arguably it's politics and maybe there are even elected or sort of appointed officials, but there isn't this kind of powerlessness, like everyone is a cog in the machine because the emperor is not a cog. The emperor is sitting in the engine room with a hammer. Hmm. And the, yeah. the characters that are the most fun to watch in these political stories are the operatives, the ones that are running around yes. being clever to get stuff yes. done. Yes, yes. I mean, and I, going back to the thing I said about, like, how fun it is to watch characters with strong opinions mm -hmm. um, in any context. Yes. Specifically, the strong opinions that they have in political fiction are things about values and ethics and morality. Mm -hmm. And in a non-political context, it's hard to write about those sorts of abstract things without your characters coming across as, like, 
twee or kind of culty or like weirdly <laughs> obsessive or like why do you care so much about this thing when nobody else around you cares as much in political fiction like you're in the middle of like a sea of people who all care intensely uh and so it makes it easier to explore values and and morality and such like uh, in that context think of a slightly different uh setting of that which is leverage yeah i feel like leverage has this sort of idealism it does in like that robin hood yeah yeah because like they're doing the right thing and they care about doing the right thing but they they don't fight for it in quite the same way they don't have to make compromises in the way yeah because you're talking about the the wheeling and dealing right uh and that involves like what are you willing to give up what are you not willing to give up what are you like ride or die for and what are you willing to trade for other things and if we get into the cynical side of politics the um the jump every politician has a jump the shark moment where they decide that the future good they could do with the power that they are gaining is worth doing bad things to keep the power mm -hmm. yes. and i think that that moment of breaking them or not breaking them is a really interesting narrative choice on the part of the author is do they display that giving in to the urge for power is right because it lets them do good later on or do they say it's wrong and reward them for not taking the opportunity or do they slap them down like it's kind of a hope punk question again is yes it's a meta question which does the author think is the right thing to do does if, the author yes. think that the means justify the end and if you're going to have characters that don't even necessarily have the greater good as their driving force <laughs> so if you're going to get very cynical and look at things like veep or the british political show the thick of it yes uh, which is <laughs> hilarious it is one of the funniest things i've ever seen and it has to be funny because if it wasn't funny it would be crushingly so depressing because it's about oh, yeah. terrible people doing not great things to get into power or hold on to power or to spin a message not because they desperately believe in the good they can do but just because either it's their job or they like it because they're fuckwits right. or <laughs> they just want power and so you have to have that element of intense humor for us to actually even enjoy watching that happen and for us to even remotely be on board with these people who are terrible but you know they swear all the time and they're very competent so let's just have fun and watch yeah. well if you want to see the difference between british opinion of politics and politicians and american you look at the difference between um the west wing and yes minister and in the thick of it yeah. right british tv shows know that politicians are the worst um <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's kind of true right i mean even yeah. the no, house of is. cards remake is a remake of a british tv series like it's not an american idea of a tv series and i have this whole corner where i basically like list off tons of political tv because i think that tv shows do politics slightly better than i think most novels do they just have more space but the one I that I was... Hmm. Have you read the original I was novel that House of Cards was based on, Macy? I have not, no. Yeah, I have. It was published in 1989. And it has exactly the same sort of grubby, cynical feel mm -hmm. to, that the American TV show has. Obviously, the American TV show makes it a lot shinier and slicker. Whereas House of Cards is kind of like if you sucked all the fun out of Yes Minister and added some more horrible people. Like, it's quite a depressing book. It was written by Michael Dobbs, who was a conservative politician huh. 
uh, and clearly knows exactly what he's talking about in the pages yep. of it. But the thing that I, I went back to the show Madam Secretary because it popped up on my Netflix the other day and it was horrifying to realise in the few years since I watched it last how much I've come to notice the imposition of American military power as mm -hmm. a key political tool um, and how jingoistic that is. Yes. And it almost reminded me of the traitor Baru Cormorant. Yeah, that's a political, that's a political novel. Isn't yeah. it? I need to sit down and read the sequel at some point. I've just been too depressed by the real world to go put myself in that world again. It's a mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on a happier note, did we want to talk about why we like some of this stuff? I think we've already touched on a lot of the things that I really like about it. And part of it really is that competence porn in that if you're mm -hmm. watching someone, even if they're not a very likable or moral person, doing something very well is enjoyable. Mm -hmm. And it, and political fiction obviously is a great space for one of our favourite servanty things, which is the Machiavellian overachiever. Yay! Yes, we do really like those. Well, I know that you two had a note here about Vorkosigan, and I feel like I haven't written, read nearly enough Vorkosigan to, to dig into that, so who wants to talk about them? As we have discussed, the Vorkosigan series being space opera E, but also E in many other genres, and it definitely has some books that are more... E in many other genres, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Look, I wasn't quite sure where that <laughs> sentence phrase. was going, and I'm just like, okay, anyway. It is a multi-genre series, yes, it and is. some of the books are more political than others, but certainly a lot of them do show Miles and his allies and his family attempting to get things done in that political sense by trying to gather votes and change people's minds. And I really enjoy watching the process of that in the books, especially via some of the less actively political but also very political characters like uh, Elise Vorpatrel who mm, exerts immense amounts of political power via the uh, women's network essentially. <laughs> you know this is reminding me of my favourite um, Vorkosigan book which is the sequel to A Deeper Season. <laughs> Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> Honestly, I think Which, at what this point, passing bells, I do occasionally forget what some of the scenes and subplots that are in the deeper season fix. I'm like, surely they're in one of the books. You know, there was that whole thing where they had this vote. I'm like, is that a book? Is that in a fic? No. So so, so for, for our darling listeners, um, A Deeper Season and What Passing Bells are the fic in which Miles falls in love with uh, Grigor or yes. vice versa, I think. Vice and versa. The sequel involves them running a long con on the entire council of counts and sort of slowly waiting for them to die off so that these two can come out, get married and have babies together. Yep. And that it's the kids can then inherit inherit the uh, the empire. Yeah, <sighs> it's very good. Uh, but it there's lots of Alice Vorpatrel running around like quietly blackmailing various counts through their through their sisters or wives or, or mothers. Yes, yes, yes. Um, I a few years ago was very much invested in the Gentleman Bastard books, and mm -hmm. uh, the most recent one, uh, Republic of Thieves, had a wonderful subplot of. Uh, these two con artists essentially being, <laughs> not essentially, but literally con artists, being hired to uh, be campaign managers for two opposing sides of a fantasy election. Uh, and it was also very much, uh, like, you could see shades of, like, how the American political system works in mm -hmm. there, right? 
because uh, the American political system touches everything. Uh, and I was just thinking, like, why does this work differently in books than it does in TV shows? Because you mentioned that mm -hmm. uh, a couple minutes ago, Macy. And I think it's because, like, when we read them in books, we want to like them. And when we're watching a TV show, we don't have to like them. We could just, like, watch these asshole people being assholes. And it's a, at a little bit of a remove. I think in books, um, at least, you have to see a little bit of interiority. Like a TV show yeah. can show you a group of people doing things and saying things and never show you someone's internal life. Right. Whereas yep. most books have to show you at least one person's motivations and feelings. I think another thing that TV and visual media has as a huge advantage in the field of political fiction is that they can show you a group of six people and through body language and clothing and yes. mannerisms give you so much rich detail on those humans that uh, a book just can't. No. Right? No. You can't write down, you know, um, and person X had their shoulders slightly turned towards person Y. Were they having an affair? Who knows? Uh, or there was a meaningful glance. Pins. Yeah. Because the second that you start saying this on the page in a book, um, you have to do something with it. It can't just be sitting there. You can't have red herrings nearly as cheaply mm -hmm. as you can in with good actors in your hands. Mm. Yes, for sure. And that's my like rant on on why tv is cool craft i love yeah. I, well, I, can't, I can't remember which of you said it but i love that idea of a campaign story being a quest narrative yes because it is like you that don't have amazing. to think about the nitty-gritty of what are we going to no. do with the politics once we're in power it's just literally we are attempting to get from point a to point b and on the way we are collecting fantasy gold coins which are people's votes <laughs> votes <laughs> and, things can, and things can come up in our way and there can be problems so one of the books that I am planning is a campaign novel, which takes place in a fantasy world where uh, there is an outbreak of fantasy plague in a city <laughs> at the same time as the mayoral election. I don't recall you ever telling me about this book before, Freya. I know this one. I don't know this one. Freya, why have you been keeping things from me intentionally? Because <laughs> you don't go to purpose. Australia, Alex. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, I this one actually began life as a combination of two <laughs> fanfics, one of which was a Merlin fanfic about a fantasy medical school, because I am determined yep. to mine yep. my medical school experiences yep. for profit. And the other one was a Discworld novel fanfic yep. that I had planned about what happens when Moist Von Lipwig becomes patrician. But yep. essentially... <laughs> Yeah. It was going to be. Why did you not write yeah. this? It was a good. <laughs> I would read the shit out of that. Yes, but unfortunately, Alex. I can't get money out of it, Alex. So it. now I am going to write a story about where the two main characters are a final year fantasy magical healing medical student and a, an operative in a mayoral campaign, and plague breaks out in the city, and what happens next? Well, this you need to amazing. know that, Freya. I don't know what happens. Freya, I, Freya, you, I, have a, I have a very important question. Yes. Can you please write books faster, Freya? <laughs> this is like book five this on is your like, list. This is quite it? far down the list because there are the two yeah. sequels to the book that is currently on Sar, which will only get written if that one sells. There is the one I'm in yeah. the middle of at the moment. And then there is the trio of romances that I have promised myself I can, re can write if I finish 
the current draft. Okay, I am <laughs> noticing a conspicuous absence from this list, Freya. Where is Gay Space Spies? Gay, Gay Space, Space Spies is also in there somewhere. I haven't decided where it is yet. It That's will depend. too vague for me, Freya. <laughs> will depend if I am more in the mood to write espionage space opera or if I am more in the mood to write <laughs> politics and plagues. I well, feel okay, like both eh. of them sound great, though. Moist yeah. von Litvig political intrigue needs to happen. Well, the yes, it yeah. will no longer be about the person in the patrician role, but oh. it will be somebody who is one of the sort of classic political operative, runs on coffee, swears all the time, their life is so terrible, will be, will be one of my main characters. I feel like they're more of an interesting sort of character archetype anyway. Um, like, not the person at the top, but... But, like, either the second in command or, like, a few rungs down. Because, like, they have all this pressure from the top as well as pressure from the bottom and not enough coffee in the world to deal with it. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, uh. and so the idea is that the person who is running for mayor is the current health minister. Therefore, cool. the plague. Who then needs to deal, then has with, to deal with the plague. plague. Yeah. And yep. the other person will be, yes, someone who's a final year medical student who starts to unravel what is happening with the plague. But probably also has spent the preceding month camping out on the doorstep with an obnoxious protest sign so nice. the person in the office already absolutely hates them and now they have to work together <laughs> question mark fall in love yeah okay i was just yeah, about yeah, to yeah, ask yeah. do oh, they cool. fall in love uh punch yeah. punch this fall is in a love. freya mars novel of course they fall in love they will fall yeah, in love um, yep 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 around cool. all of the like horrible death so yes tldr more democracies in fantasy i'm bored of kings and queens let's elect some useless politicians yes, i please. want more campaign stories if you know of any more hit me up yes, I want tell rex. us about them yes send us your rex or even better come up at worldcon and tell us them in person uh Yay! that would be pretty cool too <laughs> that would be awesome Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. I enjoyed the hell out of all of our tent poles this week, and I am going to keep throwing myself at political intrigue in my own stories with the doomed ineptitude of a lifelong science student until I get it right. Now, a very important reminder, if you are at Dublin Worldcon right now, don't forget that we have our live recording coming up. Barring any unforeseen program changes, it's at 11am on Saturday the 17th in the Convention Centre's Wicklow Hall 2B. We would love to see as many of you there as possible so that we can say hi to some of our darling listeners face-to-face, -face, so do come along. And an equally important reminder, Alex's second novel, A Choir of Lies, comes out in one month, so get those pre-orders in now for this romp of gay cinnamon rolls and snarky footnotes and fantasy tulip mania. It's pretty great. You want in on this one. For the next episode of the podcast, two weeks hence on August 28th, it should be a lively one and maybe one you don't want to listen to while drinking in public because we're talking all things comedy and humour. So if you have a friend who might be into that, encourage them to check it out. And given that it will be episode number 42, one of our tentpoles will be The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? You can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. And remember that we also have a fan Discord chat, which is linked in the About the Show page of the podcast website. Finally, if you enjoy the podcast and would like to support us, we do have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash serpentcast. 
and you can help us pay our darling scribes, access monthly themed FICREC lists, and many other exciting extras. And by the way, you've got Artvote.